Welcome back, 1001 Radio Days fans. We have a new detective series for you, and this is one of the original ones, called Philo Vance. A little history for you. Back in the late 1920s and 30s, Philo Vance was the best-known fictional detective of them all. Even before Dick Tracy. He was the creation of author S.S. Van Dyne, and Philo's character was a New York detective who was an intellectual and bon vivant. In other words, he liked the good life. He had a tough right fist and a knack for solving crimes. When Philo came to the radio in 1945 as a summer replacement series, it was a hit, but the show really took off in 1949 when Jackson Beck took the role of Philo Vance. These episodes are clean thanks to the efforts of people who work to preserve old radio shows, and they feature an organist, which makes them sound a little more old-timey than they really are. The scripts are good, so the story keeps you entertained. We'll run Philo Vance this week and next, so let us know if you like them by sending us a review at Apple Podcasts. And now, our show. The makers of Raleigh Cigarettes present John Emery, star of the Broadway success Angel Street, as Philo Vance in S.S. Van Dyne's murder mystery, The Case of the Cellini Cup. Good evening. I am Philo Vance, occupation criminologist. And tonight I'd like to tell you the adventure of the Cellini Cup. As I pieced this fantastic and incredible story together later, it started something like this. In the East 70s of New York City, deep in the gloomy shadow of the 3rd Avenue L, is a dingy little second-hand store called the Old World Curio Shop. It's about 10.30 at night. The front of the store is filled with the usual miscellaneous rubbish, but in the back there's a rather a good workshop. There's a light on there. The man is hunched over a workbench, repairing the enamel on, of all things, a cloisonne elephant. This man is Paul Getman, about 43, rather heavy-set, oily complexion, little pig eyes, smug and self-satisfied, but a clever worker. An unpleasant man, but then he hasn't long to live, although he doesn't know that. There's a discreet knock on the door at the front of the shop. Oh. He gets up and walks through the store to the door. Oh, it's you. What do you want? Well? Hey, hey, put that gun down. Someone's liable to get hurt. <laughs> Wait a minute. Take it easy. What are you going to do? No, no, you don't dare. You can't get away with it. That's murder. For God's sake, don't do it. Well, why don't you say something? What are you waiting for? I know. I know what you're waiting for. You're waiting for the elevated train. You're waiting for the elevator train to drown out the shot. When I get back, I'll watch you and I'm going to... And now, here is Philo Vance to tell you the story of the Cellini Cup. Thank you, Mr. Shirley. 
Well, to explain how I got involved in this, John F.X. Markham, the district attorney, is an old friend of mine, and bright and early the morning after Getman was murdered, uh, much too bright and much too early, Markham came over to my apartment and dragged me over to the old world curio shop to view the mortal remains of Paul Getman. Sergeant Heath of the Homicide Squad met us at the door. A businesslike frown on his broad, pugnacious features and gestured toward the body. Well, here he is, shot through the heart. Doc Baker examined the body and pulled a 32 slug out of him. I would have bet my shirt it was a 45. Made a big hole going in. Hmm, so it did, Sergeant. Well, signs of a struggle. Who found the body, Sergeant? The patrolman on the beat. The burglar alarm went off and he came running. Looks like Getman set it off himself. There's a button right here on the counter and we found Getman's thumbprint on it. Look at this, Markham. What's that, Vance? This utterly atrocious tie Getman was wearing. Imagine the embarrassment of being caught dead wearing a purple horror like this. I thought it was kind of snappy. Sergeant, you distress me. I've never seen you out of your uniform, but I'll wager you're a panic. Now, Vance, let's not get into a discussion about the well-dressed corpse should wear. Calm yourself, Markham. Ah, what have we here? A little circular bit of charred cloth. Must be a clue, eh, Sergeant? I already seen it. I figured whoever came in here to bump Getman off hid the gun under something. Maybe a handkerchief. And when he fired, this piece of cloth was blown off. Figured that out myself. Not bad, huh? Sergeant, you've been going to night school. Suppose you tell us what you found out about the late Mr. Getman. Okay, he was in his early 40s. He owned this shop. He did repair work on fancy art objects for the museum and art dealers. And he was pretty good at it, I guess. He had a little apartment at the Windsor Arms, and that's about all. Hey, looks like a customer at the door. That's his second today. Markham, isn't that George Henry Howard? Yes, it is. The art collector? Yes, but there's more of the collector than the artist in him. Before the war, he traveled over Europe sweeping up statues, porcelains, tapestries, and so on like a vacuum cleaner. Between George Henry Howard and William Randolph first, the museums on the continent were left looking a trifle seedy. Let him in, Sergeant. Okay. Well, well. Mr. Vance, isn't it? How are you, Mr. Howard? Fine, fine. Never better, thanks. Mr. Markham, our district attorney and champion of justice. Oh, how do you do, Mr. Markham? And Sergeant Heath. How are you? How do you do? Is uh, Mr. Ketman here? Yes, but he's not speaking to anyone. He was murdered last night, Mr. Howard. Murdered? Really? Oh, definitely. Well, that's too bad. From my standpoint, as well as his, I wanted to buy a group of items in here. Uh, will his death interfere with selling them? Well, that would depend on whether there were any heirs and so on. Oh, yes, of course, of course. Well, there seems to be a few pieces of some value in this case. Let's see, there's the triptych, the cloisonne vase, a copy of the Cellini cup, this beautiful German horizontal clock with hunting scenes in relief, circa 1600, I'd say. And quite right you are, Mr. Vance. Mm. Uh, by the way, Mr. Markham, I'd like to put a deposit of, uh, say, 4,000 on the contents of this case just to ensure my getting it. I'd top any bid by 250. Could I do that? Well, we'll have to take that up after the investigation is concluded. All right, fine, Mr. Markham. Thank you very much. If I can be of any help. Thank you. Quite all right. Goodbye. Goodbye, Mr. Vance. Goodbye, Mr. Goodbye. Four thousand bucks for that stuff? I could do better at the five and dime. Yeah, worth about two thousand. Oh, Sergeant, you mentioned another customer. Oh, yeah, before you got here. A man by the name of Hans Hendricks. 
An art dealer, he told me. Oh, yes. The Hans Hendricks Gallery is on 57th Street. Anyway, he came to pick up an art object Getman was repairing for him. He had a receipt for it, so I let him in to make sure it was here. But I didn't let him take it. Oh, I'll answer it. Maybe my office. Well, um, what do you think of this, Sergeant? Oh, I got a theory. When there ain't no clues, I always say what the French say. Church a femme. Church a femme. Uh, Church a femme, eh? Yeah, in French, it means look for the dame. Oh, thank you for the translation, Sergeant. That's okay. That was the office, Vance. Swacker tells me they got the license number of a car that was seen here last night. Well, now we've got something concrete to work on. I have nothing very exciting to do this afternoon. Suppose I take this gentleman and scholar, the incredible Sergeant Heath, and the two of us will trace that license number to its lair. It's like I tell you, Mr. Vance, you don't have to be no genius to solve murders. All you do is ask the right people the right questions. Providing one can find the right people. Well, we sure got a lot of information so far. The owner of the car rented it to a guy named Tony Carpini who lives in Queens. Yes, and this Carpini had a date last night with a girl named Norma Allen who lives in Flushing. Church a fam, huh? She'll be in Mr. Markham's office tomorrow morning. I'll pick up Carpini and we'll... Well, we'll ask questions and solve the murder. You make it sound delightfully simple. Yeah, it's a cinch. I guess I know how to figure these things out instinctive. Sergeant, you've been most instructive. Oh, that's okay. Well, now, let's get on to the Hans Hendricks galleries. I'd like a few words with Mr. Hendricks. Sergeant Heath. Thanks. Now then, I'm at your service. Well, Mr. Hendricks, I'm looking for one of your messengers in connection with the Getman murder. A guy called Tony Carpini. Ah, so. Unfortunately, he is no longer in my employ. You mean you fired him? Yes, this morning. So you are looking for Tony, eh? I'm glad I got rid of him. If I'm not too inquisitive, Mr. Hendricks, why did you dismiss him? I did not trust the man. And of course, you had excellent reasons for not trusting him? He had quite a temper. Just lately, he was very surly. Not a man to trust with a gun. A gun? Did he carry a gun? My messengers often deliver valuable pieces. I believe I saw in the papers that the bullet was a thirty-two. Yeah, that's right. You may be interested to know that Tony's gun was a thirty-two. I, I, I have it here in my desk. Well, well, right in your desk. Now, that's convenient, Mr. Hendricks. He turned it in when I discharged him. Yeah. There you are, Sergeant. Thanks. I'll just take this along. Where did Tony keep the gun? After work, I mean. In his locker with his uniform. I presume he had a key to the delivery entrance? And he could get in at night if he wanted to? <laughs> Easily. Uh-huh. Well, thanks, Mr. Hendricks. Oh, uh, say, before I go, my wife wants an extra chair for the living room, and I noticed that one by the door as we came in. And the sergeant sat in it, bounced in it, slumped in it, and finally decided he and the chair were soulmates. It's that carved chair with a needlepoint upholstery. Of course, of course, I know the chair. How much are you asking for it? It is priced at $575, I believe. Holy cow, I can get the same thing at Ludwig Bauman's for $3175. Well, thanks again. Not at all. Goodbye, gentlemen. Goodbye. All right. Now we're really getting somewhere. 
And without none of that fancy uh, psychology of yours either, Mr. Vance. That guy Hendricks was pretty helpful. Wasn't he, though? Almost too helpful. What's the news this morning, Markham? You look like the cat that swallowed the canary and went proudly around hiccuping feathers. Well, Vance, Sergeant Heath's out tracking down our man now. I told him to bring him in as soon as he located him. And who is the man? <laughs> I never thought I'd hear Philo Vance ask that question. You usually know who the man is. So nice of you to say so, old fellow. You know, Vance, a gun scratches its individual signature on bullets that leave the barrel. So we compared the bullet that killed Getman with a bullet fired from the gun that that messenger, uh, Tony... Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, here it is. Tony Carpini. The bullets match perfectly. Looks like he did it. My dear Markham, it only proves that a bullet fired from his gun brought about Getman's untimely demise. Vance, you're splitting hairs. Splitting hairs is a hobby of mine, Markham, old boy. A hobby that I thought I shared with all members of the legal profession. Yes, Mr. Markham. Uh, send Miss Allen in. Ah, that would be our femme fatale, the Cleopatra of Flushing. <laughs> From Swagger's voice, I'd say she left him goggle-eyed. Ah. Oh, uh, come in and sit down, Miss Allen. Yes, thanks. I'm Mr. Markham, and this is Mr. Vance, a sort of special assistant of mine. A pleasure, Miss Allen. Oh, likewise. We'd like to have you tell us what happened the night of the murder. Well, I had a date with Tony, and we drove around a little, and then we parked, and... He started talking about me going out with Mr. Getman. He got sore, and I told him that we would have to consider our acquaintanceship at an end because I had become engaged to Mr. Getman. She have only been engaged eight days. I didn't even get a ring. And what was Tony's reaction to the news of your engagement? He was wild. He was mad. He threatened to kill me and Paul. Uh, that's Mr. Getman. So I asked him to be so kind as to take me home. Yes, uh, what time was it he brought you home? Uh, about quarter to eight. Oh, he did it all right, Mr. Markham. Well, thank you very much, Miss Allen. Now, uh, just a moment, Markham. Miss Allen, how long have you been uh, dating Mr. Gettman? Oh, about four months, I guess. I met him when Tony had to deliver something to his shop to be repaired after hours, and he took me along. Paul fell in love with me at first sight. I'm considered very attractive by men. Well, obviously. And you liked Mr. Gettman very much, I presume. Oh, indeed. Indeed, yes, I... I've always wished to travel, and he was going to take me to South America after the duration of the duration. Paul knew lots of important people, too, if you know what I mean. I'm afraid I don't. Well, like Mr. Howard, the art collector. Paul took me to one of Mr. Howard's cocktail parties. Gee, it was swell. Nobody was there who wasn't somebody. Vance, don't you Just think... Just be patient a moment, Markham. I even talked with Mr. Howard himself in person. Oh, he was swell. And he showed me some of his collections. You know, etchings and things. When I told him Tony worked for Mr. Hendricks, and I knew all about art from what Tony had told me. I what... see, and uh, you and Mr. Howard got along very well together? Oh, sure. I told him all about Tony and I and Paul, and he laughed and laughed. I was a big hit at that party. Gee, I guess I'll never get to travel after what Tony done. Oh, I imagine another man will come along and be blinded by your charms, Miss Allen. Yeah, I suppose so, but maybe he won't be no gentleman like Mr. Getton. 
Hey, will you stop showing oh, me around? Tommy. Here's Carpini, Mr. Markham. He was out on the town last night, but I grabbed him when he came back to his room. Had his bags packed and was all ready to skip town. Tony, what did you do it for? What did you do it for? You spoiled everything. I didn't kill him. You did, too. You said you were going to. Ah, shut up, will you? I hate you. I'll never give you another day. Will you shut up? I tell you, I didn't kill him. I didn't have nothing to do with it. You did, too. You're a murderer. That's what you are, a murderer. <laughs> Oh, yes, yeah. Cut it out, Carpini. Uh, let's go of me. It's her own fault. She started us. Take him away, Sergeant. Okay, Mr. Markham. I guess he's a man, all right. What'd I tell you, Mr. Vance? Churchy fam? Churchy fam? Come on, Carpini. Oh, nuts. Here, use my handkerchief, Miss Allen. Oh, gee, thanks. You're awfully nice to me. Ah, uh, not I, Miss Allen. Some other gentleman. Well, thanks. Are you convinced now? Not entirely, Markham. So I think I'll trot along and see if I can comb a little information from George Henry Howard. Are you going now? Yes, Miss Allen. But before I depart, I think you may be interested to know that Mr. Markham is a bachelor and a very eligible gentleman. Hmm? Confidentially, he's fascinated by you. No kidding. <laughs> Why, Mr. Markham. Vance, what's the idea? Bye-bye, Markham. Oh, sit down. Sit down, Mr. Vance. Thank you, Mr. Howard. A very pleasant den you have here. Yes, I like it. I see the cases along the walls are filled with the ripe fruit of your continental travels. Some beautiful things. You like them, eh? Well, when I saw something I wanted, I got it. Of course, these cases represent only a fraction of my entire collection. Now, uh, these two curved swords are nice. Creases, they're called. I picked them up in the Malay States ten years ago. Sharp as razors. And an exquisite pair of old dueling pistols. I suppose they are dueling pistols, aren't they? Oh, yes, yes. I got them in France. Beautiful inlaid gold work on them. And you'll notice they're identical in weight, shape, trigger pull, everything. Had to be, you know, to make the duel fair. Amazing. And I suppose these little cloth patches are for cleaning the guns. That's right. That's quite right. Well, what have we here in this case? It looks like a copy of that Cellini cup in the Metropolitan Museum. Yes, it's a good copy, too. Yes, it is. You have a whole case of ivory figurines, I see. Mm -hmm. I collected them for a while. Only a few of them have any real value. By the by, Mr. Howard, I came to ask about Hans Hendricks. You've had dealings with him, I suppose. Oh, yes. You see, Getman's murder is pretty well pinned on one of Hendrick's messengers. It was his gun. Please don't repeat this, but it occurred to me that Hendrick's also might have access to that gun. Oh, I see, I see. Do you know... Do you happen to know whether Hendrick's and Getman got along all right together? Well, as far as I know. Of course, Hans is a shrewd Dutchman, and... He's an art dealer, too. I gather your opinion of the integrity of art dealers is not too frightfully high. <laughs> you never can tell, Mr. Vance. You never can tell. Mm. Well, thank you, Mr. Howard. You've been most helpful. Well, Tony, nice cell you have here. Don't be funny. Tony, I'd like to ask you a question or so. Yeah? You trying to help me? Yes. What's your angle? Well, Tony, I'm of the opinion that jail is an unhealthy place to be. If you answer a few questions, I may be able to help get you out. Okay. What have I got to lose? 
Did Mr. Hendricks know about your trouble with Miss Allen and Getman? If he did, I didn't tell him. He might have found out from Getman, though. That's right, too. Did Mr. Hendricks ever give you anything to deliver to Mr. Howard? Yeah, a couple of times. And that Mr. Howard is a right guy. And how did you come to that conclusion? Well, you see, I delivered a vase about a week ago, and there was a party going on. Mr. Howard was pretty tight, and he spilled two drinks he was holding all over me. Oh, Mr. Vance... Just a moment, Sergeant. Go ahead, Tony. Well, he took my clothes and gave me one of his silk bathrobes to wear and had my clothes dried while I sat in the room. Then he gave me ten bucks. I thought that was okay. Hmm. Now, Sergeant? I found out if Mr. Markham was in his office like he asked me to. He is all right. Thanks very much, Sergeant. You're a noble custodian of the law. I'll be right... Go right up and see him. And thank you, Tony. Don't worry too much. Vance, for heaven's sakes, what did you bring me here to the museum for? Stop fretting, Markham. I wanted to lift you out of the hurly-burly of your mundane world, far from the madding crowd's ignoble strife, and to transport you to the cool halls of this temple of art. Now, what sort of nonsense is that? Once in a while, you've got to get away from jangling telephones, noisy courtrooms, and intellectuals such as the good Sergeant Heath. You've got to get away and enter this world of beauty and quiet and romance. Look at the Etruscan shield in this case, Markham. Yeah, very nice. What stories it could tell... How many heroes buckled it on and strode bravely into battle shouting some barbaric cry? Yet, here it is today, still full of beauty. Ah, here's the Cellini cup. Remember, there was a copy of it in that case in Getman's shop. Benvenuto Cellini. Artist, writer, swordsman, adventurer, the gay lover of the Renaissance. And over here... Now, Vance, you're not going to take me on a conducted tour of the Metropolitan Museum, are you? I've got work to do. All right, Markham. I have a few things to do myself. But if you and Sergeant Heath will arrange under some pretext for Howard and Hendricks to be at the Old World Curio Shop two hours from now, I'll turn over the murder of Paul Getman to you at the conclusion of a short lecture. And now here's Philo Vance. Well, Howard and Hendricks put in their appearance at the Old World Curio Shop on the dot of eight with Markham and Sergeant Heath. Howard was his usual jovial self, but Hendricks was quiet, and it seemed to me a little suspicious. I had chairs arranged around a table, and seated Howard and Hendricks with their backs to the showcases. Markham tossed the conversational ball right into my lap. Uh, Mr. Vance will explain this meeting to you, gentlemen. Ah, uh, yes, yes. Well, you both have something you want to get out of this shop, and knowing how complicated the legal machinery that Mr. Markham so valiantly protects is... I persuaded him to settle the whole thing tonight and save both of you the inconvenience of waiting for Getman's fares to be settled. Mr. Hendricks, I believe there's something of yours here in the shop that Getman was repairing for you. A large cloisonne elephant. And Mr. Howard, you wanted to buy the contents of one of these showcases, didn't you? That's right, Mr. Vance. Getman and I had already agreed on a price of 4000 Which seems more than fair to me. It's amazing, isn't it, how a small piece of lead can complicate the lives of a lot of people? Tony Carpini didn't simplify matters for either of you. Then he's the one who did it, huh? That's right, Mr. Howard. Cha-cha-fam. I didn't know I had a man like that working for me. Funny, I always thought he was a nice boy. Well, I don't agree with Sergeant Heath's cha-cha-fam theory, as he calls it. I think the motive was robbery. 
There was one item in this case that Tony might have thought represented a fortune in itself. Just a minute. It was this item right here. Look. A copy of the Cellini Cup. This is what lured a man to the depths of murder. But it never will again because I'm going to smash it to pieces on this table. Don't do that. Don't, you fool. Stop. That's the real cup. That's the original. Stop it, you idiot. You're smashing one of the greatest treasures in the world. Sergeant Heath, you may arrest Mr. Howard for the murder of Paul Getman. Markham, the admirable Curry has just informed me that he will serve dinner in three minutes. Lance, you irritating so-and-so. Sit down and tell me how you knew Howard murdered Getman. His confession clears Tony, but there's still a lot of things unanswered. Well, there's no point in my being coy with you, Markham. Where shall I begin? Why did Howard kill Getman? His confession explains that, but suppose I put it in order. A. Howard was a wealthy art collector who wanted something he couldn't buy. The Cellini cup that was in the museum. B. Getman was a clever goldsmith who did repair work for the museum. He had access to the Cellini cup. See? Howard bribed Getman to make a copy of the cup and substitute it for the original. But D, Getman made two copies, substituted one for the original which he kept, and sent the other copy to Howard, who E, for exterminate, decided to kill him when he found he had been double-crossed and did. Yes, yes, Vance, I know all that, and it isn't necessary to talk to me as though I were a child. Yeah, I'm not at all sure about that, Markham. Oh, go on, go on. What about the bullet from Tony Carpini's gun, matching the one that killed Getman? Stop giving me the story in driblets. Well, at that party Miss Allen went to, she mentioned to Howard that Tony had threatened to kill Getman, and Howard realized he had a perfect fall guy, shall we say. He ordered some items sent from Hendricks, and then Tony delivered it. Howard spilled the drinks on him. With a pretext of drying his clothes, Howard got hold of the gun, took it to the basement, fired several shots into something that wouldn't destroy the markings on the bullets, then cleaned the gun and replaced the empty shells. Yes, but how did he shoot Getman with that bullet? Oh, very simple. Howard owned a pair of muzzle-loading dueling pistols, and he loaded one of them with a the bullet from the gun. Remember that charred piece of cloth that was near the body? Yes. That was used to tamp the powder down. And remember Sergeant Heath remarked about the hole the bullet made? That it was large, and he'd guessed the bullet was a forty-five. Well, the thirty-two bullet was a little small for the gun, and it wasn't going straight when it hit Getman. Uh, Howard was an ingenious devil, wasn't he? Come, come, Markham, don't give him all the applause. Save a little for me. All right, you too are an ingenious devil. But what made you suspect Howard? A number of things. First, my suspicions were aroused when he offered twice as much for the contents of that case containing the Cellini cup as they were worth. Then it seemed strange that a man of Howard's position would invite Getman and his lady love to one of his parties. Of course, though, they were partners in crime. Yes, that seemed odd to me, too. It bothered me, and I dropped in to chat with Howard about it. Saw the dueling pistols and the little cloth patches. And also discovered to my surprise that he already had a copy of the Cellini cup. Why should he want another? So you took another look at the one in Getman's shop, found it was the original, and dragged me over to the museum where you saw a copy in place of the original. <laughs> Excellent. An astounding piece of deduction, Markham. I exchanged the cups with the full cooperation of two dazed directors of the museum, then pulled the psychological rabbit out of my hat. But why did you have me bring Hendricks over here to the shop, too? Well, there was a possibility that Getman might have gone to Hendricks with the cup, hoping to sell it to him and get some money in addition to what Howard had already given him. Who knows? Perhaps he did. And Hendricks had access to Tony's gun. 
But I was sure that a man who was willing to risk his life and reputation for that cup couldn't sit quietly and see it smashed in front of his eyes. Vance, you're an amazing person. I'm also hungry. Come, Markham. I see curry signaling that dinner is served. I hope the chicken tetrazzini is good. Catching a murderer has given me quite an appetite. Raleigh cigarettes are protected in a way that no other cigarette is protected. Raleigh's live in a new house, a revolutionary new package that keeps them factory fresh. Raleigh's special package provides up to 400% greater protection than the package on all other leading brands against loss of freshness, loss of flavor. Why not smoke the cigarette you know is fresh? Raleigh's, America's freshest cigarette. Next week, at the same time, the makers of Raleigh cigarettes will again present Philo Vance to tell you and your friends another exciting story. A story he calls The Mystery of the Singing Cat. The part of Philo Vance was played by John Emery. Tom Shirley speaking. This is the National Broadcasting Company. a widower without children. It's possible for some dishonor... That'll be 420, lady. Here you are, driver. Please keep the change. Thanks, lady. Uh, you're quite welcome, I'm sure. Grace! Oh, Grace! David, what in the world are you doing here at this hour? Rather early, isn't it? You see, I have an appointment to interview your husband for my magazine this morning. Where did you come from? Oh, I've been away for a few days. My train just got in a little while ago, and I took a cab from the station. Really, darling? The fare from the station is about $2. Didn't the driver say four twenty? Did he, David? He must have come the long way. Uh, uh, come on to the house. Oh, I'm supposed to meet your husband out by the pool. He's going to demonstrate some tricks on trout fishing, which our readers will positively drool over. Oh, that <laughs> magazine of yours gives you a good living, David. I wouldn't belittle it if I were you. Come on, I'll walk to the pool with you. Well, if it gave me a good enough living, you'd be married to me. Instead of Morton? Instead of J. Morton Zachary. You think it's his money I married? It certainly wasn't because you were in love with those specimens of deep-sea fishing which are mounted in his den. Or with the fact that he was perhaps the leading authority on the use of wet coachman flies for trout fishing. You're quite sure I would have married you if you'd had Jonathan's money? Reasonably. You know, Grace, I don't think I'll ever change about you. I think I've loved you from the first moment I saw you. Thank you. Well, here's the pool. You know, it's a sort of symbol of this whole place, all white and large. David! I see it, Grace. There's a body floating in the middle of the pool. Come on. It's Jonathan! Look what's lying on the edge of the pool. A fishing rod. A trout fishing rod. And the hook is attached to Jonathan. David, David, do something! I can't very well, Grace. There's nothing anybody can do for him. Now... <laughs> Thank you.
get him, Chief? Did you? I don't think so. Maybe winged him, but he got away through that window. Casey will pick him up downstairs. I put him under the fire escape. If I remember Casey, it's more likely the killer got him. Well, Morrison, we almost had our hands on him. Almost caught the phantom killer. Now, let's go downstairs and either grab our killer or revive Casey. Pretty corny, isn't it, Vance? I don't know, Ellen. Plays like this are relaxing. That they are. They practically put me to sleep. Oh, Vance, look, that usher seems to be looking for somebody, and you left word at the box office where you'd be sitting. Mm. Boy, boy, are you looking for Philo Vance? Yes, sir. There's an important phone call in the office. It's District Attorney Markham. Markham. Ellen, will you excuse me a moment, please? A moment? I might as well say goodnight right now. If it's Markham, it's a murder. And if it's a murder, I know I won't see you until morning. you men to go over every inch of the grounds. Somebody got in here early this morning and murdered Mr. Zachary and left some kind of a clue before he scrammed. Okay, now go out and find something for me. Rather excellent performance, Sergeant Heath. Resourceful homicide detective orders his men to bring him a clue. What do you expect they'll find? Nothing, D.A. Absolutely nothing. But I can't have him hanging around here at the pool either, can I? Oh, hello, Vance. Hello, Sergeant. District Attorney Markham and I just had a look at the late J. Morton Zachary. Pretty ugly knife he had in his chest. Any knife in any chest ain't pretty, Vance. Well, all I know so far is his wife and that magazine editor, David Douglas, found him. What about that fishing rod that was on the edge of the pool with the hook in Zachary's clothing? Yes, please, Heath, something about that. A prominent fisherman found dead in a pool with a rod and reel as accessories before the fact. Rod, reel, and hook complete with coachman fly as bait. Intriguing. I don't know about it being intriguing. All I know is I'm working on my day off. Well, the hook was attached to him, all right, and the rod lying on the edge of the pool. Why, I don't know. Or who killed him, I don't know. Glad you came, Vance. Certainly, Markham. I admire mystery plays. Ellen and I were seeing one when you phoned me. But I'm more partial to unusual real-life murder cases. Well, I gotta go to work. Hey, Morgan. Yeah? Get in that overgrown bathhouse and see what you can find. These articles on the ground here, the ones in the sergeant's handkerchief, I imagine they were found on the dead man. So I understand. Handkerchief, wallet with nothing unusual in it, and these keys. Oh, funny thing about these keys, Vance. Wonderful example of colonial architecture, Markham. The house, I mean, and beautifully kept ground. Vance, I was saying there's a funny thing about these keys. Yes, I know. One of them doesn't open any lock belonging to Zachary. You know, there's a definite resemblance between colonial... Now, wait a minute, Vance. How could you possibly know that about that key? It's true, isn't it? Yes, it is true. Heath tried every one of them. Each one is for some different door or Zachary's office or car. But that shiny one in the middle, that's the one that opens nothing. Only, how did you know? Because it's the shiny one, Markham. Either it's a new key to an old lock, or it fits some door that was just constructed. Neither of which is very likely. Or it doesn't belong to any of Zachary's locks. Uh... Where is Mrs. Zachary, Markham? In the house. Sergeant Heath asked her to hold herself available for questioning. He wasn't thinking of my questioning, I don't suppose, but I'm grateful just the same. If you don't mind, Markham, I think I'll join the lady. You were away for three.
three days, Mrs. Zachary. Came home this morning. <laughs> Took a cab from the station, found Mr. Douglas here on your arrival, and the two of you discovered your husband's body? Yes. Yes, Mr. Vance. How long had Mr. Douglas been here? I don't know. He said he'd just arrived. Then it's possible that he might have killed your husband. Oh, no! No! Not David! He couldn't do anything so brutal. Oh, it's David, is it? Know him pretty well, Mrs. Zachary? Yes. Yes, I know him quite well. I was engaged to him once. Well, that's quite interesting. What time did you arrive here this morning? About 9 o'clock. 9.15, maybe. What time did your train get in? At... at 8.50. Well, it's about a 20-minute cab run from the station. That would bring you here at about 9.15, as you said. Hmm. Mrs. Zachary, you inherit all your husband's estate? Yes, I, I suppose so. It will be considerable, judging from this house. Was he retired? No. He was the head of a number of corporations, something to do with the manufacture of rayon. You can find out all about that at his office. I'm not particularly interested at the moment, Mrs. Zachary. Where can I find David Douglas? If you've come to arrest me, Vance, arrest me. Only don't just sit there staring at me. I'm not a police officer, Mr. Douglas. All I want to know is, did you kill Zachary? No, no, I didn't kill him. I told you I had just driven up to his house a moment before Mrs. Zachary arrived. I was there, standing there, when she got out of the cab. I paid the driver. How much did she pay the driver? She gave him a bill, a $5 bill. Told him to keep the change. That's quite a sizable tip. I rode out to the house from the station, and the meter only read $2. What's the difference how big a tip it was? Besides, the fare wasn't $2. It was four-something. I heard that. Get through with me, Mr. Vance. Please get through with me. You're awfully nervous, Mr. Douglas. I won't be too long now. Coincidentally, I know that you were once engaged to Mrs. Zachary. Yes, yes, I was. Vance, listen, I, I, I know the police let me go, but that they're watching me, waiting for me to make a false move and daring me to make one. I, I can't stand this anymore. I can't, I tell you. I'm going to... If you kill yourself, Douglas, it's practically confession that you murdered Zachary. Do you want that? Oh, no, I don't want that. I, I, I don't know what I do want, but it's not that. Here. Take the gun, Vance. Take it and go away. Please go away. Please leave me alone. very much, sir. Goodbye. Well, Ellen? Well, Vance, you were right in your hunch. The railroad information just told me that there is no 850 train that Mrs. Zachary could have taken. There was a 750, though. Hmm. So she arrived at her house an hour before she said she did. And she gave the cab driver $5 for a $2 run. Well, let's see now. She could have arrived at her home about 8, killed her husband, had the cab driver wait, then drive her around a while and back to the house in time to meet Douglas. Oh, got yourself a prospect, Van? Three prospects. Mrs. Zachary, David Douglas, and a certain Hastings. Uh, what, may I ask, are Hastings? They're people. Oh. And this particular one is George Hastings, assistant to the late Mr. Zachary. Have you seen him yet? No, I tried to, but he sent out word that he was too busy. I think I have an idea how to talk to him, though. It seems important to find out just what Zachary's rayon business means. Well, when you get that certain look on your face, you mean business yourself. Uh, a little bit higher, Frankie. Up around the shoulders. 
Ah, that's better. Nothing like a massage to keep you fit, is there? Uh, there certainly isn't. Oh, uh, waiting for Frankie to get finished with me? Yes, but there's no hurry. Always said I wouldn't know what I'd do if I couldn't run over to the gym a couple of times a week to get a workout and a rub down. Oh, uh, I haven't seen you in here before. It's my first visit. Well, you'll like it here. Okay, Frankie, you can hold it up. I'll just lie here and relax a minute. You can think better when your body's in top condition, I've always thought. Oh, you sure can. And I've got to be able to think. Think fast. I'm in Rayon's. Hastings, the name. How do you do, sir? I'm Robert Williams. Rayon's, did you say? Right. Read about that fellow named Zachary who was murdered? Mm-hmm. Well, I was his assistant. I'm taking over the firm now. Oh, is that so? Oh, yes, yes. That murder ruined the biggest merger ever attempted. Secret merger. Zachary, representing the East, and a fellow named William Bartlett, the West. Mm. Wow, what that would have done to the industry. We'd have monopolized it. Had to keep it secret, didn't want anyone to know. It doesn't matter now anymore, I gather. Nope, nope, the deal was dead when Mr. Zachary got killed. Really? Mr. Hastings, I'm not Robert Williams, as I said. My name is Philo Vance. Oh, I see. I tried to make an appointment with you, but you wouldn't see me. So I followed you here to the gymnasium. You did? What for? To find out what you might know about Mr. Zachary's death. It seems to me that you know a great deal about Mr. Zachary's business. Why shouldn't I know about it? Mr. Zachary never did anything without my help. No, Mr. Hastings. Not even die. I'm glad you came with me to pick up this David Douglas, D.A. I like having you along on cases when Vance isn't along with you. I don't know why that is, Heath. Vance never objected to you. Why should he object? I never outsmarted him, did I? This is the Douglas department right here. Wait a minute. I'm pretty sure he did it, D.A. Just found out he was engaged to Mrs. Zachary before she married her husband in that rod and reel business. That'd be right up his alley. Come on, open up in there. Open up. Oh, oh, that shot came from Douglas' apartment. Break down the door, Heath. Here, I'll help you. All right. <coughs> Once more, I think we've got it, Heath. All right. We're in, D.A. Oh, they're a little late. Mm. Look at him. Still holding the gun, too. Yeah, look around the apartment, Heath. And while you're at it, you might look around for another suspect who had as good a motive and opportunity to kill Mr. Zachary as the late David Douglas. <laughs> This is District Attorney Markham. The Coachman murder case opened when millionaire sportsman J. Morton Zachary was found dead in his swimming pool, a fishing knife in his heart, and a rod and reel and hook complete with coachman fly attached to him. Philo Vance has been to see both Zachary's widow and a Mr. Hastings, who has taken over the murdered man's business interests, and who told Vance of an impending merger between Zachary and one William Bartlett, whom Zachary had never met. One of our men, Sergeant Heath, has just reported that Mrs. Zachary, who has not been detained by the police, has just had a visitor. This information has led us to... Miss Zachary, I'm sure sorry I never got to know your husband. From what you say, he sure was a grand man. He was. He was, Mr. Bartlett, the finest. It was nice of you to come down, especially since you'd never met either of us. You had to come, ma'am. Was going to be your husband's partner. Uh, I beg your pardon. Oh, shucks, ma'am. Nobody knew about it except him and me. 
We was going to have our first meeting up at my place. A meeting set up for today and get real organized. Sure was a shame. Well, now, ma'am, if there's anything I this can do... This is terribly rude of me, I know, but may I please oh, come in? Mr. Vance. I apologize deeply for this intrusion. I did knock on the door, but nobody answered, and the door was open. Uh, Mr. Vance, this is Mr. Bartlett. How do you do? Hi, son. Glad to meet you. I wish it was under different conditions, but glad to meet you. I was just going in case you got something to talk to Miss Zachary private-like. I'd like to talk to you, if you don't mind, Mr. Bartlett. Me, son? About what? About that merger you and Mr. Zachary were planning. Why'd you hear about that? I didn't even know about it until just now, Mr. Vance. A private investigator makes it his business to find out things that people in general don't know. In this case, it wasn't very difficult. Well, son, what do you want to know about the merger? Oh, I guess just why you were merging and some of the details. Well, why? Because we've been cutting each other's throats, Zachary and me, for years. One way to stop being competitors was to become partners. But we never did get to meet on account of, uh, well, asking your pardon, ma'am, on account of what happened here yesterday. <laughs> You'd never met Zachary, eh, Bartlett? I wanted to be sure of that. Nope, never. And now I'll be going. Now, please call on me, Miss Zachary, if there's anything I can do for you. Thank you very much. Bye, Mr. Vance. Nice to have made your acquaintance. Thank you, Mr. Bartlett. It was nice meeting you. Now, Mrs. Zachary, I think it's time you and I had a little understanding. According to what I've found out, you arrived here yesterday morning a little after 8 o'clock, not 9.15, as you said. You... you found that out? Yes. I also found the cab driver who took you out here from the station. He said he drove you here twice. Once about 8, then he waited for you, drove you around a while, and then back, at which time you met Dave Douglas here. Well? I want to know why the double cab trip, and why you told me your train arrived at 8.50. Very well. I told you that because I didn't want to be suspected. I did get here earlier. I went into the house. I looked out, and I saw Jonathan's body in the pool. And all I thought about was to get away so fast and as soon as possible. The cab was waiting, so I got in. I rode to town, and then, then I came back out here again. I believe that David Douglas thought you killed your husband, Mrs. Zachary, and committed suicide in the belief that he was taking suspicion from you. He must have loved you very much. He always said he did. But taking his own life was so unnecessary. I didn't kill Jonathan. I didn't. I didn't. I tell you. Perhaps you didn't. Perhaps the explanation of who did lies in that shiny key, the fishing rod, the reel, and the hook we found attached to your husband's clothes. We'll see, Mrs. Zachary. We'll see. And now, if you don't mind, I'd like to call Mr. Markham and have him invite some people to a meeting at your swimming pool. Please, everyone, may I have your attention? Want me to keep him quiet, Vance? No, Sergeant Heath, thank you just the same. Now, we are in what I imagine was a combination bathing cabin and trophy room. Is that what it was used for, Mrs. Zachary? Yes, Mr. Vance, that's right. All of you can see that there is fishing equipment, <laughs> mounted fish, and fishing knives in this room. And that one of the fishing knives is missing from the box on my right. That is the state's Exhibit A. It's the knife that killed Mr. Zachary. Vance, Vance, must you go into all the terrible details? I'm sorry, Mr. Hastings. Now, you'll notice that there's a door leading from this cabin to the pool. It's only a few short steps. Mr. Vance, I sort of wish you'd stop wasting time and get down to cases. I will, Mr. Bartlett. All in good time. Now, it is my theory that Mr. Zachary and his murderer met out here early on the morning of the murder. There was a quarrel. And in the heat of anger, the murderer seized a knife from this box 
and stabbed Mr. Zachary. Stop that, Mr. Vance, stop it. Vance, stop. Mrs. Zachary is fainting. Somebody run into the kitchen and get a glass of water for Mrs. Zachary. Uh, the kitchen's right in there. Thanks very much, Mr. Bartlett, but it won't be necessary. Thank you just the same. I apologize again to you, Mrs. Zachary. I'm sorry, but I must continue. The murderer stabbed Zachary. He staggered back, as I'm doing now. And through this door. Well, please follow me, all of you. Yes, we will. That's fine. Thank you. Zachary staggered through this door. Teetered a moment at the edge of the pool, like this, and then fell in. Adam, he's floating face down out to the center of the pool. Vance! I'm all right, Ellen. Don't worry. Oh, dear. Give me a hand, will you, Markham? Right here, old boy. Oh. What in the world did you do that for, Vance? Because I already know who killed Jonathan Zachary. And now I know the reason for that fishing rod and reel. <coughs> Uh, you can go now, everybody. Thank you for coming here. And the murderer? Well, I want to thank him for giving himself away. Well, Vance, we're here. You said to drive you here, and I did. Now tell me what this place is. It's the place, Sergeant Heath, that's going to give me the proof of who murdered Mr. Zachary. It's a hunting lodge. Look, you said after you fell in the pool that you knew who did it. I still know, but I need proof. You brought the key, Sergeant? The shiny one we found in Zachary's pocket? Sure. Only what makes you think it's going to open a door you never saw before? I'm the positive type. Come on, let's try it. Hmm. Come on, Heath, if you want to watch. I'm coming, Vance. Okay, there's the front door. Go ahead. One key, one little lock, one little turk. Having trouble, Vance? It doesn't seem to fit. Can't understand this. Wait a minute. This lock is brand new. So? So, maybe it's been changed since the murder. Heath, drive me to the nearest town so I can find the nearest locksmith. I refuse to admit a little lock can make me so very wrong. Yes, sir, he did put a new lock on that front door. Did it yesterday. Why'd you want to know? Why? Well, I can't tell you, but I can tell you this that I am completely indebted to you. Please accept this $5. <laughs> sure, I'll take it. Hey, tell you what, I'll give you the lock I took off that door. Got it right here someplace. Well, that'll be very nice. Thank you very much. I assure you, I'll never forget you for this. And I'm equally certain a certain Mr. William Bartlett will never forgive you for it. <laughs> Bartlett, it's four hours since we've held you here at headquarters. We've told you how we know you killed Zachary. Now you tell us why you did it. I don't see why the why is bothering you so much, Sergeant Heath. Bothering me? Of course it's bothering me. We know you got down to Zachary's early on the morning you murdered him. You do, eh? Sure. And after you stabbed him and the body fell into the pool, you remembered that the key to your hunting lodge was in Zachary's clothes. So you grabbed the rod and reel. It was only a trout fishing rod, but you figured it'd be strong enough, and you threw the line out toward the body. Did I? Yeah, you did. The hook caught on Zachary's clothes. You started to reel in the line when you heard Mrs. Zachary arrive, so you dropped everything and ran. Why would I go through all that procedure, Sergeant Heath, just to get back a key? 
Why shouldn't Mr. Zachary have a key to my hunting lodge? Because according to your own story, you were never supposed to even have known him. That's why. And that key tied you up to the corpse, but good. That little description I gave you just now, that's the way it happened, wasn't it? Who saw me? I can't tell you that. Why did you kill him, Bartlett? He tried to trick me with a frame contract. I wasn't to be a partner, just an employee. We fought about it, and that's how it happened. He had the key to my hunting lodge because we had to have a secret place to meet before anybody in the industry thought we even knew each other. I had to get the key back, just like you said. He, tell me, who was it saw me, Mrs. Zachary? Tell you the truth, Barnlett, nobody saw you. Nobody? But they must have. You knew the whole story. If nobody saw me, how'd you know? I didn't know. Philo Vance knew. But how he knew? Well, you can search me. Vance, please, can we play 20 questions? Do you need 20, Ellen? I'm not sure yet. Let me start with one... How did you know it was Bartlett? Well, Bartlett said he'd never met Zachary. Yet he knew where the kitchen of the Zachary house was. Remember his telling Heath where to get a glass of water when Mrs. Zachary almost fainted? Yes, but did that prove that he murdered her husband? No, but it made it obvious that he and the murdered man had been meeting here. And if they had been meeting here, it might be that they'd met at Bartlett's lodge. It might still further be that the shiny key Zachary had was the key to the front door of the lodge. It was, even though Bartlett tried to throw me off with a new lock. And that's all the proof you needed? Well, I helped a little. I stayed away when you went to Bartlett's Lodge, didn't I? Yes, you did. You know, someday, Ellen, our little enterprise here will be reading Vance and Deering, Private Investigators. <laughs> I can see it just as plain. Now, I can see something even plainer than that. I can see that we're at the end of the Coachman murder case. <laughs> Thank you.